0: We're going to read 2 Timothy today, a fairly famous passage of scripture, or at least a passage that has a very famous verse in it. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand. Just keep the blood flowing. This is Second Timothy chapter 1. Thank you, Shirley, for leading us in that giving talk. It was amazing. It's hardly a giving talk. It was more of like a salvation. This is the gospel talk, which was amazing. Thank you. Very good. That everything points back to the thing that matters most. 2 Timothy chapter one. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life, listen to this language, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded. Now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And this next verse is going to be our focus today. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, or is not a spirit of fear, other translations put, but gives us power, love, and self discipline, or a sound mind so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our lord or of me his prisoner rather join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of god he has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done we sang about this all morning because of his own but because of his own purpose and grace this grace was given us in christ jesus before the beginning of time but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel if you just slow down and read the word and let these words actually hit you what you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Amen, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you live. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us through your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who is here, who is in us. I believe. Thank you that you're leading us into all truth. Thank you that you see the depths of our heart, every nook and cranny, every experience, good, bad, or ugly, you know. So we look to you, Jesus, as our Savior, as our Lord, our Redeemer, our Friend, and we expect that our lives would change and transform by and through seeing you Jesus so we yield our hearts again in Jesus name amen 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 you guys can take your seats it's so good I love that in the middle of summer it's sunny church is full and overflowing this is a good thing So you see in this letter that Paul writes, and it is a letter, in fact, that Paul, an apostle, writes to Timothy, and he calls him his son. Now, in fact, he's not his son. He's not his biological son. But this is a letter from a spiritual father to a spiritual son. And this is important that he frames it this way. Because it's not just a mentor to a mentee. It's not just a boss to an employee. It's a father to a son. And he frames it this way. Particularly, I believe, because he's speaking as a father would speak to his son, and that's this way, to his identity. I'm not just going to give you some principles. I'm not just going to give you a few things to think about. I'm going to speak to the depths of who you are like a father would to a son. I'm going to speak to my sons very differently than I'm going to speak to anybody else. Because I know them in and out. I've been with them for every moment of their life. I know the highs and the lows And I'm going to speak to that place in them. I'm not going to speak in principles. I'm going to speak to their hearts. And this is how Paul is addressing Timothy. But we too have this word, and there's something being spoken to us through the word that isn't just a principle. It's not just a good idea. It's not just a good way of thinking. There's something that speaks to the depths of who we are. Now, he didn't address this letter to Sarah or to Blake or to Jamie or to Ryan God inspired Paul to address this letter to Timothy, knowing that it will be circulated for centuries and come to a place like this today. So in fact, when Paul is speaking to Timothy, it's God speaking to us through Paul speaking to Timothy. And this is good news for you and me. This is really good news, which means God has something to say to your heart today, right now. I hope you're excited about that. Maybe excited isn't the right emotion. But at least, for some of us, I should say, but at least that hope would rise up in you to know that there is a God who sees exactly where you are and speaks exactly to what you need him to speak to. And Paul, he says to Timothy, do not forget who you are and what you've been given. Write to his heart, I remember the gift that was in you. I remember your faith. I remember the faith of your mother and your grandmother, and it's in you too. Do not forget about this. And in fact, partner with it. Fan that thing into flame. And then we have this verse. Paul says this to Timothy. He says, for the spirit God gave us. Well, you notice something there. He doesn't say for the spirit God gave you. Is the spirit that God gave us, say us, us, us. us. Does... <laughs> so good, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline, and then he goes on to say, don't be ashamed of my position and my suffering, in fact, don't be ashamed of Jesus' suffering. This is a result of the gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. The salvation for humanity is the reason why I'm in chains. And then he finishes by saying, keep the sound teaching you've heard from me as a pattern and guard the good deposit with the help of the Holy Spirit. So Paul is saying to Timothy, this is great so my position right now in this moment is as a pastor and it's funny that Blake was already like alluding to many of these things he doesn't know but as a pastor I'm right now if we survey this moment I'm addressing hundreds of people right with hundreds of problems and maybe you're like I'm one person with hundreds of problems okay so (laughs) hundreds of people with hundreds of problems let's do some math here and in the week, of course, I only interact with a few, right? And I do. I, I live life with people, and you live life with me. And so we're not only interacting with people, we're interacting with what's going on in people. And it's my position as a pastor, as a shepherd, to be acquainted with what's happening in people. And I don't only, not only interact with people in issues, I sense them too, right? It's not just, oh, I... I'm hearing about this breakdown in this marriage. No, there's a spirit that's in me that's telling me, okay, there's stuff going on in the congregation and the people that I want to talk to you about, Ryan. But all of that on the table, there are still spaces in you that I don't know, that your spouse may not even know, the people closest to you don't even know. There are spaces in you that only God knows. And for some of you, that might incite fear, but I'm here to tell you that's a good thing. That God knows every space that's in your heart. So there's no way that I can sit here or stand here today and address every single issue that's in front of me. And nor could Paul. He wrote letters to churches with thousands of issues in them. And they're only six chapters long, four chapters, three chapters. So one of the strategies we can take is to focus on what it means to be human, right? And that will catch a lot of us. But at the end of the day, you are not here to hear a general talk about life, are you? You're here to hear from God who loves you and who knows you and sees you. But here's the beauty of the gospel. this good news that Paul was just telling Timothy. It is. It, singular, the gospel, addresses any and every issue that you might be facing right now. Doesn't matter if I name it, doesn't matter if I preach about it, doesn't matter if it's exposed or not. The gospel, one message, addresses every and any issue that you walk through. Oh, praise God for this that we can sit under one message and have our whole life exposed before the Lord. Have everything we need in one declaration about who Jesus is, anything. And this is Paul's language to Timothy, right out the gate, first chapter, first paragraph. In the struggle that you're facing, you already have what you need. Can I look you in the eyes right now? And say that whatever struggle you're facing, how private, how public, how personal, how imp- it doesn't matter. Whatever struggle you're facing, in Jesus, you already have what you need. I hope you just said, Ryan, that sounds great, but I need you to convince me. How do you know that, Ryan? How do you know that, Paul? because I know what's in you. that's what Paul says to Timothy, I know what's in you. He says, I know the gift you have. It's a very personal thing. I can look at my wife and say, I know the gift of God that's in you. Therefore, you should be encouraged because I see something in you that God is doing. This is so important in the church, but Paul doesn't stop there. He goes deeper. He, knows, he says this, I know what's not just in you. I know what's in us. I know the gift that we have. This is what he says. For the spirit God gave us. Everyone who places their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus receives his spirit. So now we're all talking the same language. For the spirit God gave us is not a spirit of timidity. He's addressing what Timothy may be walking through in the moment, fear but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. He takes any and every problem, he's saying, okay, I know these issues exist, but the spirit God gave us doesn't perpetuate that issue. The spirit God gave us is power, love, and a sound mind, which deals with that issue. I love how Paul's talking to his son. We want to get squirmy, And we want to be like, oh, that's not for me, or that doesn't address my issue. And Paul takes this big funnel, throws all of our issues in it, and says there's only one answer. And that answer addresses all of the issues. Are you willing today to put yourself in that position, to say that the gospel is the answer for all of my issues? Because that's how he frames it. And I'm going to stand in Paul's shadow today. So if you got issues with me, I'm going to stand behind this Bible. (laughs) This is such an important distinction. We're going to walk through this today. When encouraging Timothy, Paul aimed at something deeper than his thought life. Deeper than his heritage. Deeper than his skills and his talents. Deeper than his trauma. Paul's telling Timothy not to be afraid. You don't know this guy's childhood. He could have infinite reasons to be afraid could have been abused he could have been neglected he could have been bullied in school Paul doesn't go and say I know all these issues he says yes that might incite fear in you but I know the spirit that God gave us and it is not fear it's power it's love and a sound mind he goes deeper than his story You know what Paul aimed at in Timothy? He aimed at the nature of God in him. I know you got all these issues. I know you're dealing with fear, but I know the nature of the God who has taken up residence in your spirits. And that's what I'm going to point you to. I'm going to preach today. I feel it. Thank you. (laughs) I feel his presence. I think he wants to bind up some hearts today. He wants to comfort you with his gospel. Paul is saying to Timothy, let me remind you of what's in you. More specifically, of who's in you. Encouragement is so important. Don't get me wrong. Like, you are this. Like, Blake, you got a great t-shirt. Your fashion sense is crushing it. Or you hosted us really well today. Thank you, Blake. Blake. Encouragement is really important. And the lack of encouragement will cause you to quit. We need encouragement. But the gospel didn't make us uniquely good at encouragement. It's not what Jesus came and died for, that we could encourage each other. Encouragement is this. You're amazing, Jeremy. And you are. But the gospel is this, the God who is in you is amazing. Encouragement is so necessary. If I didn't encourage Jeremy, (laughs) I like your shoes, man. Well, great job. But he doesn't need that from me. He needs something deeper than that. And there's days where I think he wants me to encourage him more. But I know as a matter of fact, if Jeremy knows that I'm going to speak to one thing in his life, it's not going to be about how handsome he is, although he is. It's going to be about the God who lives in him that wants to transform his life. And here's the beauty of it. It's not either or. It's both and. Like there's this doctrine in the church that I agree with to a certain level. It's called total depravity, which says this, you suck, I suck, we all suck. (laughs) And part of this is true, right? We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to be aware of our sin nature. But God gave us the gift of prophecy in the church. You know how Paul says this is supposed to function? Edification, exhortation, and encouragement. We're not supposed to go around all day and say, you suck, I suck, we all suck. Let's just live in how much we suck. No, like that's something we need to be confronted with. And then God redeems how much we suck, and makes us beautiful, and we need to stand in light of what he's redeeming. Encouragement matters. We need to function with the spirit of prophecy, and encouragement speaks to our individuality. I need to find ways to encourage Sam, apart from him sitting next to Jeremy, about who he is, right? If I go around and say, you're a legend, we're like, oh, yes, it's amazing. And you're a legend. And you're a legend. And you're, and you're a legend. And we're all legends. Nobody's encouraged. Yeah. Kento was for a second because I'm, he's like, oof, I get, I get my shot. By the way, if you want encouragement in church, sit in the front row. I'll encourage you. <laughs> But if I start saying everybody's a legend, everybody has the same quality, and nobody's encouraged, we need to understand individually who God's made us to be and speak to it. Paul speaks to Timothy and says, I remember how full of faith you were. And he's saying separately from everybody else. Like everybody else was kind of like playing video games over here, and you were over here laying hands on people and praying for them. I remember that about you. Don't forget the gift that's in you and fan that into flame. We need that in our lives. But I need to tell you something. That will not save you. We act like it will. Like if someone just encourages me today, all my problems will go away. No. It'll keep you afloat, maybe, but it will not save you. And guess what? Even more so, that will not transform you. When Paul addresses Timothy's fear, he doesn't pat him on the back and say, you got it, dude. Remember when you faced your fears and you jumped off the monkey bars when you were five years old? Like, do that again. You're awesome. You can do it. You can. He doesn't go there. In the face of your fear, or whatever you want to fill in the blank, the thing that's haunting you, the thing that's keeping you, the thing that is holding you back from being all that God's called you to be, the thing you need is not a pat on the back. It's a reminder that the spirit of God himself lives in you. Your disposition might be fear, But his nature gives you power, and his nature gives you love, and his nature gives you a sound mind. Not you waking up in the morning and gritting and bearing it through the day. No, it's him in you that's going to be the difference you need to live a life that is transformed. And it's in the face of your fear, not in the absence of it. The question today for you and I and the question for Timothy as Paul writes to him is what nature are you going to give preference to? This is a good question because it immediately audits our soul. I got a lot of fear in my life but Paul is saying, hey, there's something deeper than that in you. What are you going to give preference to? And the struggle that you're facing No matter what it is, you already have what you need. How in the world can I say that? It's because I know something important. Jesus doesn't just want to address your individual issue and make you better. He wants to transform your life. That's what he wants to do and his vision for your life comes with the power and ability to make it happen. And that power and ability does not come from you. It comes from him. And the way he gives us this power is by giving us his spirit. He comes and lives in us. Scriptures say the same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. But that spirit doesn't just have the power to save you. It has the power to transform you, radically change your life from the inside out. That's what he wants to do. This is amazing. Can you all agree with me? This is amazing. Which means you could be walking down a path of pain A disposition of fear, of doubt, ruining everything you touch in life. And God can come into your space and transform every ounce of that and send you in a different direction. That you will not recognize who you were before you met him. You will be that radically transformed. Does anybody have this testimony in here? This is what he does. But he doesn't do it by your goodwill. And your effort and your strategy, he does it by the spirit of God who lives in you. He doesn't just have the power to save you. He has the power to transform you. And we Christians need to be reminded that transformation is his vision for your life. How can we declare transformation to a world around us if we're not allowing him to transform what's in us? I mean it. Paul had to remind Timothy of the gospel that's in front of him. Stop living in fear. Stop living in self-doubt. Stop looking in the mirror and doubting what God has placed in you. Stop it. That is not the spirit of God that lives in you. Stop saying, I can't do it. That's not the spirit of power that lives in you that says you have the ability because of Christ in you to do whatever he's called you to do. Stop saying I can't love my wife, my husband. Stop it. Stop lying. Stop agreeing with the thing that he saved you from, which is your mindset before him, and start agreeing with the spirit of God that's in you power, love, and self-discipline, that he gives you by his spirit the ability to control your mind, which means freedom from addiction, freedom from mindsets that led you to destruction, Freedom from self-hate and the narrative that plays over and over and over again. The gospel doesn't just want to save you. He wants to transform you. But many of us are just saying, "Saying, hey, God's with me and I'm good. And he's saying, no, I have so much more. Be transformed. I came with an agenda this morning. But I feel his heart for you. Please agree with me. (laughs) Imagine if I finished my sermon that way. (laughs) Just please agree. This is amazing. And it reminds me of a quote that I bring up all the time by a guy named Darius Daniels. He said something to this effect. That God's redemptive vision for your life will not be your experience without your participation. Oh, we got to stand. We've got to stand in the truth right now. It's not God's inability to transform you. Maybe it's just because you're unwilling to participate in his plan for transformation. This is why Paul is writing Timothy. He says, here's the truth, Timothy. But Timothy other knew, knew the truth. He was reminding Timothy not to just know the truth, but to participate in the truth. This is such an important distinction. And we can come into a place like this and hide and just get in the all the answers right. Like we're gonna get them right on the test. Yeah, I know that God is this and does this and says this, but are you participating? Are you participating in agreement with what He's actually placed in you? We have limiting beliefs, don't we? mindsets that actually undermine his vision for transformation in our lives, let alone the lives of people outside. We do. The spirit of fear, Paul is saying, is not congruent with the nature of God in you. The spirit of fear is going to undermine. If you feed that, If you agree with that, if you live your life according to that, it will actually undermine the spirit of God in you. Which is power and love and discipline. Even though we have God in us by his spirit, there are mindsets that we can walk in that can undermine his vision to transform our lives. And in addressing Timothy's fear, Paul takes him back to the fundamentals. And I hope you just got triggered by that word. Fundamentals. Anybody heard of fundamentalism? Oh, can you, can you, can you, can you, can you get on my level today, please? How many Netflix documentaries are out right now? How many... How many Instagram posts? How many stories of deconstruction? How many indictments on purity culture do we have to walk through? So when I say fundamentalism, I hope all those things are present when we're about to talk about this. I'm trying to avoid something here. We're going headlong into it today. The problem is, right, that fundamentalism has had the wrong emphasis. Here's what I mean by this. We've majored on the minors. So when we say fundamentalism, we're really talking about legalism. And if you got an issue with legalism, then you stand on Jesus' side. Because Jesus also has an issue with legalism. If you're unfamiliar, I'm not going to explain it. Just Google it. There's been these movements that have been critiqued in a big way lately, and for good reason, by the way, that have majored on the minors, meaning this, that some of the superficial things in the culture of Christianity we've gathered around and made them the most important things, like how we dress and trying to behave in a certain way that pleases God and pleases those around us, yet our hearts are far from God. And then we have generations of people and church leaders who say, these are the most important things to do. And Jesus is standing on here and saying, no. I want to know you and you know me and then we'll talk about your behavior. But if it's not rooted in something that is transformative, like my grace, my blood shed for you, my free gift of mercy, if it's not rooted there, then you're just in legalism trying to win my approval again by your behavior. And they've replaced, anybody that's been in that space has replaced pleasing leaders and church leaders and parents with pleasing God. Like if I please, it. and so we have this issue where we're like, we don't want that. And the world is saying, if that's what Christianity is, I'm done with it. But that's not what Christianity is. And so we throw out these words like fundamentals And purity, because they've been attached to something that the world is like, ugh. But the thing that they're saying ugh to is the thing that Jesus said ugh to. But he did not say it about fundamentals, nor did he say about purity. We've just mixed everything up, and now the baby is being thrown out with the bathwater. And the reason why this is a problem, why throwing out ideas like fundamentalism, or take the ism off, fundamentals and purity, is because when we do that, we actually start to flirt with throwing out absolutes. And we we start to say, hey, there is no actual fundamentals anymore. Everything's up for grabs. I'm going to deconstruct the whole thing, and now I have nothing to hold on to. Jesus never did that. Jesus talked often about separating the grain from the chaff. Jesus didn't throw the whole thing out. He said, I'm going to burn the chaff, but I'm going to save the grain. This is purification. He parsed out the legalism and the oppression. He he parsed out the, the nature of the leaders who wanted to gather to themselves, not gather to God. He says, that has to go. But here's what remains, God's heart for his people. Here's what remains, God's desire to bless. Here's what remains, me coming to save you. Here's what remains, my plan for salvation. And all of it looks like me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So what was foggy before now became absolute in Jesus. So we absolutely do have something to hold on to. We have fundamentals that we need in our life that are going to anchor us and save us and keep us from the wishy-washy nature of our own souls. We need something to anchor to. So Paul is saying, don't indulge your fear. Grab hold of something that is unshakable. Spirit of God in you. The enemy will use a judgmental mindset that is pervasive in our world to get you to throw the whole thing out. So we have this indictment on purity culture, but the irony is that everybody's looking for purity. The reason why we throw purity culture out is because we want something pure. Think about the irony for a second. We want something real. We want something authentic. Those are metaphors or, or, or synonyms for purity. We want the real deal. So I'm going to reject anything that isn't. But again, Jesus didn't throw the whole thing out. He purified. He says, this stays, this has to go. And if you want to know what that looks like, don't look any further than me. We don't want the fake. We don't want the diluted. We we don't want it filled with fluff. We want no extras. But here's the irony. Purity requires purification. We need it. Which means we have to go back to fundamentals. Do you agree with that? Okay, good. (laughs) Because if the power of the Spirit in us isn't fundamental to the way we see ourselves in the world, it will give room for mindsets that undermine God's power to transform your life. And you will be robbed from the power of the gospel. I feel like half of you weren't listening to that. Let me say it again. We have to go back to fundamentals because if the power of the Spirit in us is not fundamental to the way we see the world, it will give room for mindsets that undermine God's power to transform your life and you will be robbed from the power of the gospel. There are fundamentals that you and I need to be reacquainted with. Not run away from reacquainted with in whatever you're facing as an individual the solution isn't a personalized self-help program that might make you better but God's agenda isn't just to make you better it's to transform you God's agenda isn't to just make you better it's to make you new This addresses the issue beneath your issue. It's the issue that lives in all of us. That all of our brokenness leads back to the same place. Scholars call it original sin. And that's the place God came to deal with. The brokenness in humanity. He wants to address the thing that skews all of us. But he also knows how many hairs are on your head. It's the beauty of our God. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He catches every tear you shed. He knows your pain. He knows your struggle. And He is a God who cries with you. But He also knows where everything started. So He's not just going to heal you at the level of your personal pain. He's going to go to a way deeper place than that. Jesus didn't come to be our self-help guru. He came to die on the cross, shed his blood for our sin, to solve the problem of sin, singular, once and for all, which gives you and I now a chance, A, to be saved and then be transformed, because we're no longer a slave to it. He is the perfect and final sacrifice. This is good news, and we say yes to this. But friend, he wants to transform your life. When Paul addresses Timothy's fear, he anchored him in something deeper than his experience. Listen closely. He anchored him in something deeper than his diagnosis. He anchored him in something deeper than his disposition. He anchored him somewhere deeper than his trauma. He anchored him into the spirit of God who was in him. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. When we're facing our issues and when we face other people's issues, as a gospel people, we have to do the same. Stop trying to solve the problem on the surface. Go to where God wants us to go, which is his nature in us. The spirit you have been given, when that spirit becomes your new reality, your new fundamental, everything else has to get in line, including your pain, including your trauma, including your fear, including your disposition, including your diagnosis. There is a spirit of individualism that is undermining what God wants to do. When we're all so focused on what God is or isn't doing in me, we miss the thing he's doing in all of us, which is the very thing you need. And when our problem isn't addressed in the specific way we want the problem addressed, we go to places like this. Does God even care? Does God even see me? Does God even know what I'm walking through? When the Bible says the greatest display of God's love happened long before you even breathe in, He already showed how much He cares about what you're walking through right now at the cross. That's the gospel. We need to anchor ourselves in something deeper than your individual issue. And go to the place of his spirit living in you. And know that that's your new life. That's your new reality. And then from there address the things that we're walking through. What if the specific issue you're walking through right now is addressed with the solution that is the same for everyone else? Being made new in His image. What if that's God's plan? I love it when I'm talking to people who know the language. I want you to act like you've never heard this before. Take your issue, whatever it is, in front of you right now. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you got a lifetime of stuff. And I looked at you, and I said, hey, I, want some good new- I have some good news for you. God wants to take all of that, the totality of your identity, and make you new. Whew. Okay, well, like on paper, if that's what's going to happen, I want that. Friend, that's the reality that you and I live. He's making us new by his spirit in us, conforming us into his image. Jesus, help us have breakthrough today. Who you are is not the first question you need to ask. It's the first question the world wants to focus on. Who you are is not the first place you need to address. The first question you need to ask is, who is Christ in you? Oh, that matters way more. And that's going to solve way more problems. This is Paul's gospel. He says this, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Oh, he wipes the slate clean. And he says, I'm not even gonna deal anymore with who Paul is. I'm gonna deal with Christ who is in Paul. This is the gospel. This is how he transforms our lives. But we want our experience to be validated, don't we? And there's something to that. There's something to your experience being validated. God moved with compassion in Jesus. Jesus moved throughout this world with compassion, being led to individual issues and individual problems. But he would not for a second think salvation came in dealing with those individual issues and problems. He knew that salvation would come for those issues on the cross. And we have to look at it the same way. He never lets someone's experience or individual identity undermine his agenda to transform their lives. And he won't do it for you. There is an individuality for us in Jesus. He's way too creative to make a bunch of clones. The reality of who we are in him takes us way deeper than who you are. And that is good news for us. The more you focus on who we are in Jesus, the more you'll realize who you are in Jesus. My friend Nate says it this way. He says, the more you look like Jesus, the more you'll look like yourself. Stop trying to figure out who you are. Start trying to figure out who he is. And then you'll find out who you are. Sometimes we lower the good news of Jesus to positive self-talk. <laughs> what if the self is the thing that needs to die? And we're trying to keep it alive through a CPR by talking nicely to it. I mean it. You got to acknowledge a roadblock when you see one. The same type of thinking that got you into a problem is not going to be the type of thinking that's going to get you out of the problem. You don't need to learn how to be nicer to yourself. You need a new self to be nicer to. (laughs) (laughs) That's why Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Because when you follow him into death, you're going to get a new life on the other side. He doesn't want to just make you better. He wants to make you new. And team, you guys can come back up. I not only am convinced of this because I believe in the authority of Scripture. How many of you would agree with me? That's not the only reason I'm convinced that this is true. I'm convinced that this is true because this is my experience. I'm this one vivid time in my life. It was like the hinge point for me in the Lord. I was in my room. I was in my early 20s, and my room was really messy, by the way. My mattress was on the floor. I'm going to give you a glimpse of, like, how, yeah, don't, don't judge me. It's a space of grace, isn't it? Don't judge me. My life was a mess. Everything was a mess, I was in my early 20s and I had got myself into a situation that I thought was gonna be the end of me. And I mean it. And many of us have been in situations like that before, right? We are like, this is it. And when your friend looks at you and be like, mm, that's not that bad. But inside you're like, shoot, if I don't figure something out, if I can't make my way through this, then what good is tomorrow? And I was so full of anxiety. It was an acute moment where it's almost like every pain, every issue, every trauma, every failure, every disappointment came and looked at me in the face. And I was so filled with fear, so filled with pain. I grew up in the church, I grew up in a Christian school. I worked in the summers at my church and my school, which was on the same campus. My dad was the principal of that Christian school. Six, if not seven days a week, I was just in this Christian environment and here I was at 22, 23 years old, thinking my life was over with all of this knowledge about who God is. How many people have been there? I know all the right things to say. I know my way around the gospel. I know what my Sunday school taught me. I know the words of affirmation that I got, but none of those things saved me in that moment. Nothing. Nobody could walk into my room in that moment and be like, just keep going, man, you got this. I'm like, do you see all these issues? And I was trying to make something of my life. I was trying to get into med school, I was trying to do all these things to prove to myself and to prove to people that I was doing well with what God gave me and it was painful. And guys, I know my inner world. If you think your inner world is jacked up, nice to meet you. I got a jacked up inner world too. And all of that was there, it was filled with anxiety. And I didn't have a Bible. I knew that I had to run to God because it had been a long time. And I knew the reason why I was in a mess was because I hadn't been with God in a long time. And I didn't have a Bible, but what I did have was a book by Tim Keller. And the book was called the king's cross i think it's called something else now it's about the life and ministry of jesus in the book of mark and i just opened this up and i'm telling you something miraculous happened. it had nothing to do with tim keller (laughs) i opened it up and i started reading about jesus like as a as a lifeline for my soul and i'm telling you the peace of god flooded my life overwhelmed me you know, Paul says the peace of God that surpasses understanding. It was a peace of God that made no sense because the only thing that made sense 10 seconds ago was the mess of my life. And here I am like, whoo, I got perfect peace. And I spoke to God in that moment. I said, God, if you can give me this for the rest of my life, I will lay everything down and follow you because you gave me something I could never find on my own. I think God just waited for me to stack up a bunch of garbage in my life. And he's saying, hey, look what I can do with it. But what I had to learn was that that peace did not originate in me. Because there were many times after that where I stacked up garbage again in my life. Over and over, and how could I do that after God just showed me, but that's the human condition. Sin still wants to operate in us. But what I had to learn, and that was 10 years ago, what I had to learn was that that spirit of peace did not originate in me. It originated in God who is in me. My disposition was like Timothy, full of fear, full of insecurity. Try to make something good of my life and I just make a mess. And Paul would say to me, stop focusing on what you can do to save yourself and start focusing on the God who is in you, who brings you peace in the middle of your mess. And as I started focusing on, it's not I who live, But Christ who lives in me, then my life started to transform. I look way more like Christ in me than I do 22 year old me. This is how he transforms. We get uber focused on the miracles, the signs and the wonders that we want to see. I want to see a leg grow. I want to see someone healed. I want to see Gold teeth in mouse, that was a thing. And we go around from church to church looking where God's gonna make cavity-filled teeth gold. Um, This is real, okay, this is what... We're chasing this and we're like, we want the miracle, we want the sign and the wonders and I believe with all my heart that God is, was and is. He will always be who he is. He will always do miracles. But I'm just I'm telling you I don't preach about that stuff very often because it doesn't have my focus you know what does have my focus the miracle of a transformed life God works in the suddenly we should lay our hands on people and ask for healing and ask for things to change and ask for miracles well what about the miracles that happen in the slowly what about a miracle of a life transformed over time And we're like, God, can you do this right now? And he's like, I'm going to do that over 10 years as you focus on me in you. Because I see something that you don't see. I don't want to just save you in this moment. I want to transform you. So God gave me peace in this moment. And he says, son, I'm going to transform you as you pursue that peace for the next 15 years. And God not only gave me peace, he gave me a family. He gave me ministry. He gave me all of you. He gave me friendships. He gave me money. He gave me influence. He gave me something I could never get on my own because he didn't let me just be saved in a moment. He wooed me into a life that was transformed. I'm not gonna give you everything you need right now because I need you to cultivate a life that is pursuing my spirit in you and not the spirit of fear that's in you. Oh God, if I followed fear my life would look like mess. And there was a lot of fear to follow, but I had some good people that came into my life and said, this is the God who is in you, pursue that. And now I shouldn't say things that I'm gonna regret. But if you throw fear at me, it's gonna be really hard to get me to bite. Like, that's not the enemy's game for me anymore. Because I already know I've been trained in the Lord. Who he is in me is not fear. It's power and love and self-discipline. Those mindsets that you think you'll never overcome, God has given you opportunity every day to choose which nature you will pursue. What if... Everything you desire for him to do, he is doing and will do for the next 10 years. And as you look back, you will say, oh my God, look what he did. This is the power of the gospel. Do not undermine what he can do over the course of time. As you say yes, over and over and over and over again, not to your issues, but him in you. (sighs) Who wants to be transformed? who wants to stop dealing on the surface. Go to where God is in you and let him take you to the places of pain so that you can get another narrative about them. Let him take you to the places of trauma so that he can tell you his opinion about it. Let him tell you what he thinks about your wife or your husband, or your kid, or your parents? What is his spirit saying about them? What is his spirit saying about our city, about our government? What does he wanna do? Does anybody believe the gospel? How do I know this is true? Because I believe this word. Because it's true in my life. I know the mess that I was, and I know the mess that I am. And I know what I need God for in my life. And I know he is able. But I also am filled with faith. That he is who he says he is. And he will do what he said he will do. He is making all things new. I don't care what you throw at him, he's got a plan for it. Let him do it. Yield yourself to the gospel. Say yes to the spirit that's in you, in Jesus' name. Does anybody need transformation right now? Like in this moment, are you acknowledging your need for transformation? if you need it then look at him this is a house of transformation we've come to see him just put our gaze again on the Spirit of God who lives in us and close your eyes there's power in repentance it's not to say, God, I messed up and I did all these things and don't be mad at me. And No, it's to say, God, I've not been thinking rightly. And today I want to think rightly. I've not been allowing you to do what you want to do in my life. And today I stop thinking superficially about what you've done. Your spirit is in me. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So today, very simply, and I don't want you to respond because someone beside you is or you think you're going to look silly if you don't. If you want to just simply respond to this word and say yes to Jesus, that you want everything that he has to transform your life, I just want you to stand. take this moment and yield. Say, Jesus, I want that peace that surpasses understanding. I want that peace that makes no sense. I want a joy that's rooted in something beyond my circumstances because life ebbs and it flows. Root me in something deeper than my compulsions. Root me in something deeper in my anxieties. Just give him your heart. Just pretend right now you're by yourself with him. Transform me, Lord. I'm gonna say some things. I don't wanna be addicted to pornography anymore. Jesus, transform my mind. All the neurological cobwebs that I have in my mind because of behaviors that I've had, God, you can deal with those. Surrender them to you right now. Transform me one decision after another. God, I don't wanna be limited by fear anymore. I can see what I've missed in my life and I don't want to miss anymore. I don't want to live angry. I don't want to have those triggers of anger. I don't want to talk to my spouse that way anymore. I don't want to talk to my kids this way anymore. I don't want to talk to my coworkers this way anymore. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who has love and power and self-discipline who lives in me. Believe the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus, that he can and he will transform your life. And God can change you in a moment. He can, but it's not always the way he works. He moves in the slowly and the suddenly. I believe that if we walk downtown right now, East Hastings, that people can be transformed in a moment. I believe with all my heart. But I also believe that God has a process for many. And it's the same for our lives. Every stronghold, every thought, every mindset, every tendency obey Jesus in the name of Jesus right now. Come into obedience and alignment with Jesus Christ. Speak that over your mind. Speak that over your heart. We take every thought captive. And make it obedient to Jesus.